0: Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you for giving us the ability to read it and to search it for a deeper understanding of you and how we can relate to you. Thank you for the help of scholars and others in the process of seeking the joyful meaning of your words to us. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who will help us apply your words to our lives here. Amen. The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 1, and then verses 6 through 11. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And verse 6, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's a sign of affection when I give one of our liturgy leaders, a genealogy to read, knowing he's gonna nail it. Well done, Jeff. As is often the case when I choose to preach through something not traditional, there's the moment where I'm sitting there and like, why did I decide to do this again? Preach their genealogy. But the reason is because um, God's history that tells us about his character encourages us, helps us endure, gives us hope and confidence in who he is. And as Matthew, in his stylish genealogy, may not seem that way to you, but he did it for a whole bunch of reasons. One we talked about last week, um, based upon the structure of the name David, Matthew's tell- telling and reminding. Jews and Christians of the story of God's pursuit of his people. When we looked at last week the section of time that Israel was operating as a theocracy. And this is the time where it's gonna move into the monarchy. The title um, of Jesus, given three. Jesus, Christ. Jesus means Yeshua saves. Christ is the statement that he was anointed by God. And then the son of David says it is the legal right to the throne of Israel. The son of Abraham means he is the fulfillment of those promises. You remember when God said, go look at the stars to Abraham and count them? Eventually, my followers will be far more than those. That's why Matthew gives these three titles to Jesus. And then we get into the theocracy time of the nation of Israel. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, essentially breaking at least eight of the Ten Commandments in that one little verse. And this is an interesting, this has been an interesting challenge for me as a pastor for years, because there are a lot of characters in the scripture that people have very mixed feelings about, rightly so, because David was a mess, and we know a ton about him. And we can make the mistake of thinking of Christianity as a religion, of fables and rules, and then we're like, David killed that big giant. Maybe the big giants in my life I can kill with a sling, and God will give me five smooth stones. That'd be awesome. I can call people an uncircumcised Philistine dog, because it's in Scripture. Or we can learn from the New Testament that David's a type of whom Christ is the perfect fulfillment, who stands between adversaries we could never stand up to, much less defeat. Adversaries of sin, death. In the history of God constituting a people, Matthew wraps it beautifully. The genealogy of Jesus who saves Christ the anointed. The rightful perfection and fulfillment of David's kingship. And the one who fulfills the promises in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, that now his followers are going to go all over the world telling people about the with God life, the joy in it. God constitutes a people who resist him. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that these kings, well, it didn't go well. And just like in our lives, God utilizes their resistance or their deliberate thwarting of God's plan to bring them back to himself. Of these 15 kings mentioned, four of them are pretty good. Jehoshaphat, Josiah, Hezekiah, David, ten of them are horrific. One of them is kind of a mixture. It depends on if you take the king's explanation or the chronicle's explanation of Jotham. And the reason that's interesting is because when in the New Testament we're told to resist Idolatry. We're told to smash our idols. If you know the history of the people of God, you know something about how wildly destructive idolatry is. When the bad kings, like Rehoboam, allow these demonic Canaanite deities in, the poor are oppressed. People are put into horrific situations of uh, violent violence, Sexuality to appease these gods. Rehoboam established a male cult prostitution system in the temple of God. So if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. You can read it in 1 Kings 14. So when I say these kings were bad, it's not like they mismanaged the money, it's not like they didn't prepare well for war. They led their people to oppress one another, to harm one another, murder one another. A good king not only leads people in worshiping Yahweh, they also destroy the high places. A mixed king leads people to worship Yahweh, but he doesn't destroy the high places, so people still go to the high places, and high places doesn't sound interesting to you, but that's where the oppression and the abuse and violation of people were happening. And the bad king simply led them in those things. And the reason that's so important is the history of the people of God is God going and rescuing his people from that, away from violence and abuse and exploitation and oppression of one another, back to worship of him and then care for one another. So then, five chapters later, when Jesus says, lust is wildly destructive, avoid it, smash the idol of it in your life. I'm paraphrasing now. All sorts of things, but Jesus is very clear that sin is wildly, wildly, wildly destructive. If we know anything about the stories of these kings, it enhances our ability to hear him. When in other parts of the scripture we're taught that greed becomes an idolatry that's wildly destructive, and we think, how destructive? The knowledge of the history of the people of God enhances our ability to reject that. When we're aware that we're checking our 401k every day because that gives us a sense of security and the Bible would call that a potential idol, we smash that. We literally close our laptop and say, God, I know that you're my security. Listen, you have to check on your 401k a couple of times a year at least. That's responsible. But if you check it every day, you're starting to lean on it. You're starting to think, I'll be okay in 10 years if. Not, I'll be okay in 10 years because I'm God's child and I'm gonna follow him. When when we center our children and our happiness flows from them instead of loving them well, but not centering them, We know how dangerous it can be to do that. We know that in choosing their happiness over parenting them, we can actually make them an idol, the irony of which will harm our relationship with them because they don't want us to make them into an idol. They want us to parent them and then become friends with them as they move into adulthood. And all of these commands of Scripture, if we know the history of God's pursuit of his people, it enhances Our deep trust in God, our gratefulness of His character, and then our obedience to Him. And this is not just a religious history. Did you know you can go to Egypt right now and read 187 cities that Shishak the Pharaoh – that's his name – the Pharaoh plundered, 50 of them in Israel. You can go read this right now, because this is not just a religion. This is not just we're grateful to God and we trust him. This is things that happened in space and time and history, and they're recorded in Chronicles and in Kings, and they're referenced by Matthew. And the people that knew the history of God remember these times. They remember how destructive it was. Rehoboam actually gave uh, things of the temple to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would go north and mess with Rehoboam's enemies, Jeroboam. Anyway, and it reminded them of their deep need for God to rescue them. God constitutes a people who resist Him until the fullness of time. This is one expression of why did Jesus come to earth when he did. There are all sorts of theories about why it have to do with Rome there are a series. There are theories about why that have to do with uh, Israel and, and what was happening there at the time and what was about to happen. There are theories surrounding the 400-ish time, 400 years time frame of the three sections of the generations that Matthew gives. But the most scriptural answer for why did Jesus come to earth when he did is that was the fullness of time. Matthew's writing his gospel so that we will remember it. It doesn't work as well for us because we were not tr- We were not. Raised the way that Jewish and Christian people were in the first century. Um, and it's not, it doesn't come across as stylish as it does in the Greek, but Matthew loved threes. There are three sets of 14 generations. There are three names Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. What are the three gifts that they bring him? Remember? Gold, incense, myrrh. We need to talk more about myrrh, I think. One of my favorite comedians, after one of his best jokes, said that joke was comedy myrrh. Yeah, I can't pull it off. It's fine. There are three gifts for Jesus. There are three important places in Matthew's description of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth. There are three angelic appearances to Joseph, and what he's doing is he's giving a rhythm. He's giving a style that helps us remember these things and therefore be encouraged by it. I grew up at the time that movies were starting to be on TV all the time, But Blockbuster had not yet been invented, so my brother and I would record movies. We had 25 or 30. Uh, When my sister destroyed our copy of Airplane, we have never forgiven her for that. And part of the reason that we watched those movies over and over again was because it was fun. But as a young child, especially one searching for answers, I wanted to know how to do life. And sometimes I thought maybe if I could talk a little bit more like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters, I would communicate better with people. I noticed how people talked to their bosses and how people talked to their employees and how people talked to their friends and how people talked to people of the opposite sex. During COVID, I used a line from Ghostbusters all the time whenever I sensed people did not like some of our rules. If I'm wrong, nothing happens. Remember, we go to jail peacefully, quietly. We'll enjoy it. But if I'm right and you... Have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. When Matthew gives these threes over and over, he's giving a device to help the people remember the history of God's pursuit of his people. Who, when they have a good king, he honors and blesses them in their worship of him, and they grow in trust. And gratitude and obedience. When they have a bad king, it goes really poorly and he calls them back to himself and as soon as they're ready to worship him and dash those idols, blesses them again. And among other things, we are reminded of how desperately we need not a little bit of help, not a few tips, not some religious ways, but Rescue. God constitutes a people who resist him until the fullness of time when the word became flesh, which is John 1, 14. And it would conf- it would just absolutely offend and confound a Greek person who wanted their mind and their body to be separate, the logos. The word could never become sarx, flesh. They wanted it separate. And many of us do too because we're very influenced by the West is very influenced by Greek thought. But this religion is one that does not just serve us on Sunday mornings. It does not just serve us when we're disoriented and need to pray at night. It serves us all the time as something we can fully trust, grow in gratitude of because Jesus became a man and suffered, both more than us and very like us. And the word became flesh, confounding. Some of the current Jewish thought that the only hope was that Jesus become a king like the other and and throw Rome out. No, this is a kingdom that lasts regardless of the authority structures over your life. All of the things offered to you in the gospel are yours regardless of where you live and your esteem or lack thereof of current rulers. And confounding us who think, maybe I need a little bit of help. Maybe I need a little bit of guidance. Maybe I need a little bit of religion. Maybe I, maybe, maybe need some other people that believe these things. Nope. We are in entire, we have an entire need. You are not partially broken if you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're entirely broken. You're not a little bit sinful, left to your own devices. You would violate love for God and neighbor all the time. And if you didn't, you would judge everyone else and thereby be violating love for God and neighbor all the time. But in trusting him who became flesh to rescue us, we're freed into relationship with him, with one another. The genealogy does so in a roundabout way for us, perhaps. Reminds us of who God is and why he is that way. He is a good father who comes after his people. He has given them free will so they can resist and oppose him. And he will keep coming after them. that's who he is. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful that in the fullness of time you sent your son. We thank you that that's who you are, and what you do is pursue and rescue Father, I ask that you grow us in trust of who you are and who you call us to be. Jesus, I ask that you grow us in gratitude that you became flesh and then took on sin and death and defeated them. Holy Spirit, would you protect us from temptation and from evil as we obey and follow you? Amen.